You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, and Errol Parker. It's a wonderful time of the year. It's a time for catching up, a time for feasting, a time for probably going back home to the local pub and hearing people say, you've done well for yourself, haven't you? Well, I'm just glad that it's stopped raining here in the Diamantina for a change. Still pretty cold, though. Still pretty chilly, um, but, you know, who knows? This southern, this southerly has been up for months and months and months. It's the coldest December I can remember, and I'm hearing the same thing right around the country. But, you know, one thing I do, regardless of this unseasonal weather, one thing I do love about this time of the year is all of the yarns you can hear and all the yarns that you share and all of the things you learn about this world from catching up with friends and family. You know, you've got relatives who are doing different things with their life and you've got, uh, you know, especially nowadays, you've also got an uncle informing you about things that, you know, you might not know because it's not reported in the mainstream media. You've got a lot of conspiracies. You do have that. And you've also got a lot of travel time if you're lucky enough to be traveling for Christmas. I mean, Mm. and there's one thing that comes hand in hand with uh, traveling, especially for me, and that's I finally got time to catch up on all the podcasts and audiobooks that I've been putting off for the whole year. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it is interesting because you can catch up on certain stories, um, things from, you know, that you might not usually be into, but you've got a long road ahead of you, you've got a long drive ahead of you, and you're tuning in. And today's guest has done a bit of both, found a lot of different yarns and done a lot of traveling. We've got the uh, wandering journo. Nance Haxon, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Errol. It's wonderful to be here. Batuta's really turned on the weather for me in the couple of days I've been in town. Yes. <laughs> Had floods, gales, goodness. Now, yeah. I, you, you, you're working on, um, actually, speaking of weather patterns and, and, and you know, and the, and the landscape, you, you're working on a, uh, well, you've just completed a new podcast series, which we'll get into a minute about water. Uh, which I've I've been looking into and I've been and I'm I'm learning a lot, but I've realised, Nance, that I've learned a lot from you over the years, you know, with or without knowing you were behind it. You are two times Walkley winner. Oh, thank you. You're my best PR person. Thanks. Can you can you please tell me where it all began for the Wandering Journal? Oh goodness, yes, absolutely. I I can remember even when it was about nine mm-hmm. uh, that I wanted to be a journalist. I think it, you know, I, I do talk a lot, but uh, I think my mum would remember. I always had that sense of justice and that I, yeah, the world just wasn't always right. Mm-hmm. So um, what could I do about that? Uh, a lot of that came from my brother. He's got an intellectual disability, and I spent a lot of time kind of translating mm-hmm. what he's trying to say to people and. I've seen a lot of improvement, but right from the word go, I just saw that storytelling was a really good way of explaining things to people without hitting them over the heads yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> so you can tell us, yeah, I mean, obviously you've got that that hunger for the story that hasn't been told or needs to be told, and you've got that hunger for keeping the bastards honest, right. which is key to um, you know the fourth estate. And, uh, you know, you would know as well as as we do here at Batuta, there's not many of us doing it uh, in this day and age. There's not many of us left. It's true. And there's an endless source of those stories. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. Now, um, how did you get into it? How did you launch? Were you in the days of uh, cadetships? Were you in the days of 
go rural? Like, how did how did it start for you? Yeah. Or having to sell your soul and oh, that, that that's still an ongoing and thing. post up at News Corp. <laughs> <laughs> the, the freedom of freelance is wonderful, um, but yes, is it uh, terribly? You know, do it. Will I make my fortune? Not at this point. But um, yeah, I did a lot of work experience, a lot yeah. of free work experience when I was at QT in Brisbane. So I grew up in Brisbane, but yeah, a lot of relatives in. Uh, Mergen and so a lot of time spent out there in the South Burnett and yeah so I wasn't afraid of going out country so when that opportunity came I got my first job with the ABC at Port Augusta. Right. And uh, that was really where I... That's real rural. I'll tell yeah. you, yeah. I remember thinking right maybe... down there on Australia's Amalfi Coast. <laughs> exactly. I was remember thinking, oh, maybe it's a bit like Noosa, you know, it's near the water. Overlooking How bad the can it be? Antarctic. Yeah, it was. Um, but I'm so glad I went. That was really... That was the start yeah. of... You know, learning my craft, really. Yeah. And I think there is an aspect of journalism that is still a craft, much as mm. we go to uni to get the qualifications. Yeah. And, yeah, getting to know the Adna Mutna people there who just taught me so much about how to do good journalism with Indigenous First Nations people yep. and and that it takes a lot of time. I think I learned that you've really got to learn to, you know, you might have deadlines but other people don't. So yep. it's working around that. Yeah. yeah, that is a great way of looking at journalism. <laughs> You've got deadlines, but other people don't. They'll yeah. get round to telling you this story when they're ready, but you <laughs> need them right. to tell it now. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, this this podcast that we've just finished, I think, is a good example of that. It mm. uh, was disrupted by the spicy cough, like mm. so many things, but yeah. we got there in the end. It took a couple of years, but I'm really proud of the stories that we brought out and a lot that I hadn't heard before. I feel like I've got a PhD in water now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> making making Waves is the name of the podcast, <laughs> five episodes. And, and again, I, I want to get into to the intricacies of what you've um, kind of learnt and what you've had taught to you and what you've been able to share alongside Indigenous people, but from certain mobs, you know, that are based around water and, um, and country with, you know, where that is such an important part of, uh, of being and a part of, you know, their stories. But the storytelling that you have uh, kind of been awarded for and and have been you know built a name on is very diverse i i, I kind of want to talk to you about some of these different yarns that you've been able to tell over the years uh, namely you know back to 2001 i guess you're still down in south australia I at this was. point woomera yes uh, woomera indeed i remember driving up there through the gibber plains yeah after hearing the news on the police scanner that was how it went. That's how we heard about it. Yeah. So please, can you break it down for us? <laughs> yeah. So how far is so that it's a fairly long drive from Port Augusta all it the way is. into the heart of South Australia? Isn't yeah, it? and it's hypnotising. They give a plane. It's beautiful, but boy, there's not much there, yeah. right? So you just. I remember I'd have to pull over and have a kip basically for 10, 15 minutes yeah. every single time. So here yeah. I am, biggest story of my life, and I'm pretty sure that I pulled over to have a kip so that I didn't overturn the ABC yeah. vehicle. That wouldn't have been a good look. For so, sure. um, yeah, so got up there, and Woomera is a very X Files little town, yeah. basically, really sure. quite secretive, and I couldn't get anyone to talk to me. And um, I knew that there was something happening at the detention centre, but it was just trying to figure out what that was. So I went up to the local petrol station and uh, he was the only guy who would talk to me, the petrol station guy, full body tats on the face as well. <laughs> so I was pretty uh, proud that I you know, wasn't daunted by this, you yeah. know, all the experiences that I've had. And uh, he, I said, oh, 
you know, could I could I get up on your roof and see what's going on? He's like, sure, love. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's where I did a lot of my live crosses to yeah. World Today and for ABC Radio and ended up reporting there for 24 hours once I got a bit of a feel for it and saw the water cannon being used in Australia for the first time. It's sort of, it's really amazing to remember that now and how much has changed yeah. really with that whole refugee well, detention situation. They, they took it offshore after that, didn't oh, they? Oh, yeah, they went, this is, we don't want these chicks sitting up on top of petrol stations yeah, telling yeah. people what's going on. We'll make and, it a bit harder. And were, were the, the protesters there at that point? Um, no, not really. It was really the first time. Yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty much me and a lot of journos racing up from Adelaide, so I had to jump <laughs> on them. So that was good. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I guess th- that that was what put in place the eventual Woomera kind of, you know. Exactly. Convoy that came out and, and – and Busted down the fence? Exactly, <laughs> yes, exactly. And and then the Baxter Detention Centre of Port Augusta, yeah, it set all of that yeah. in train. So really amazing to – it kind of indicated my choice to go really remote yeah. and go yeah. out back and yeah. let alone the friends you make in these places. you got friends for life, yeah, you know. Yeah. I know that I could ride through there and – See my Adna Mutna mates, and they'd be like, "Yeah, how you going? Yeah, 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 it's yeah. been fifteen years, but yeah. nobody cares." Yeah, so, yeah. and the Flinders Ranges, you yeah. know, they're just so stunning, and that desert country is. Everybody should see it. There's more to more to Australia than Uluru and the Great Dividing Range, beautiful as those are. Yeah. yeah. No, no, there's something, I know what you're saying about that mm. part of the world. There's something, as you said, hypnotic. So, so beautiful that you can kind of just feel like you're gliding out of your windshield and fall asleep. So <laughs> Absolutely. You got, yeah. Yeah. Unless you're behind a B-double or yeah. B-triple. Those ones were fun. <laughs> yeah, you never on. overtake those. couple dogs on the road. Yeah. yeah. I think I hit three kangaroos in the time I was out there. Oh, it was awful. But that was one of the first things that I was told when I moved into Port Augusta. I think they could see this bohemian girl and just said, <laughs> love, if, if a kangaroo jumps in front of your car... You've got to hit it. Keep going. You yeah. just don't swerve that. It's car. either you or the kangaroo, mate. <laughs> I learnt that pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the name, I guess that's the collateral, isn't it, of, that's that, right. of breaking those yarns with poor buggers? Yeah. <laughs> now you did a bit on blackburning. You reported on that, um, yeah. which I find um, quite interesting. It's very much entering the mainstream of Australian kind of media right now, the story with um, Black Snow. It's about to launch on Stan. Exactly. Um, it's a murder mystery set up in you yeah. know, the central Queensland coast. So exciting. I went yeah. to the launch of it the other night yeah. in Brisbane. Yeah. It was really exciting. Uh, I'm guessing the community were out there and... and, and um, oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. You know, all of the Australian South Sea Islanders and in the cast, of which there are many, which mm. is incredible, and none had acted before. Uh, so, you know, just that ring ring of authenticity, mm-hmm. um, but all the family there and just the excitement, it was absolutely buzzing, you mm-hmm. know. Everyone was yelling and whooping and when the, when they played the first episode as well, like, yeah, you, you know, yeah! yeah. Every time one of their release came on, it was <laughs> just really cool. Like, yeah. it was great to see this story finally being told, like, in a pop culture sense. Yeah. And hopefully more yeah. people will hear what's going on. Well, blackbirding is is a part of Australian history that's up until now rarely spoken about. What was your first experience sort of getting into uh, the history of blackbirding in this yeah, country? Yeah, I reckon I almost knew more about it growing up and I think that's what intrigued me about it. My dad would tell me about blackbirding and Kanakas yeah. as they were known and perhaps not so much yeah. now, yeah. but yeah, that 
that he went to school with some. Was, um, he, was he from kids. up that way? Was yeah, he... he was from Cleveland, yeah, so right. down the, the Redlands. Okay, um, yeah, very was... country when he was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a sleepy old town. Oh well, yeah, not yeah. like now where no. there's not much of that soil left, but no. Anyway, no. <laughs> lots of houses. But yeah. yeah, and I just knew more about it then. And but it's like 20 years you didn't yeah. hear a thing about it. Um, yeah. And as a journal, you keep these stories in your back pocket until you get a bit of a hook, yeah. as you know, that comes along. And I remember just thinking one day I'll do this for the yeah. world today you know yeah. this is a, such a big important national story it's yeah. not just a Queensland or a yeah issue well as we know it got it went as far as Lismore I mean I'm sure it went even yes, further south absolutely yeah. there's yeah. a really big community around the Tweed yeah. um Bow Desert mm-hmm. as well Nambour, Mackay yeah. yeah Rocky but yeah I was really lucky to get in with the uh, Bundaberg crew they were they were really generous with me and just uh I'll never forget walking through that that gravesite that uh, they had of uh, the Kanakas mm. who weren't allowed to be buried in the the townspeople with the other townspeople at Bundy, and how they just wanted their their story to be known more mm. widely. I mean, this is uh, even now there could be people listening to this that aren't very familiar with the history, but it was you know. A, a, I'm not even sure if it was part of it. You'd be able to tell me it wasn't necessarily part of the white Australia policy. It was. Oh, a, there was definitely an aspect of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where the Melanesian and Pacific Islanders of, of mm. many different kind of backgrounds were brought to Australia as effectively indentured labour and in many circumstances exactly. yeah. full-blown yeah. slavery. That Under mm. false pretenses they were. Yeah. yeah. And how were you exploring this story? Were you telling it as a history sense or were you unveiling a bit? Well, the hook that came along, of all things, was Donald Trump. Um, who would have <laughs> thought that Blackburning and Donald Trump could come together? But I don't know if you remember when there was sort of there was a big debate in the US about Confederate statues and yeah. pulling all them down, yeah. um, whether that was appropriate or not. And so I remember ringing my EP after sitting on this story for years, my executive producer, and going, oh, yeah, you know, I've got this got some talent who could talk about this and there's this, you know, bloke called Robert Towns who established Townsville who uh, was a pretty notorious blackbirder. Yeah. yeah, whether we could be doing a story on that. And they said, yep, we want it today. So in three hours <laughs> I had to get all that together and and it just showed me that it just touched the surface of releasing that story and that, that was when I started working on it as a doco. Yeah. Yeah. Townstown, as you'd say in French. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it definitely, it's been interesting. <laughs> I mean, Mackay as well. A lot of these oh, totally. places up the coast are named yeah. after prolific blackbirding families and it's exactly, I, I don't mm. like to do parallels to American history, but it is exactly the same yeah. because yeah. you're going to be met with the same backlash. You, if you consider mm. at least removing the revisionism around these names, at least kind of explaining to the kids what these names you know, come from and who they who they uh, you know who they're Absolutely. named after. You still meet backlash even if you just want to talk about, it, let alone mm. change it. So yeah, um, and then you know, only two years later during the Black Lives Matters protests, Scott Morrison gets up and oh, says, yes. "We never had slavery in this country." You go. It was. Oh. It's mentioned so often. It was mentioned at the big debut for Black Snow the other night. Like yeah. people just still have a, a pretty seething anger about it. Just yeah. the ignorance of that. But I think it shows that Australia has not come to terms with. It's slavery history, yeah. essentially, yeah. Now, from there, you, um, I mean, you've worked on a whole lot of things. You're the wandering journal now. You're freelancer, so you're not necessarily, um, you know, <laughs> at risk of rolling an ABC van anywhere at the moment. No, just my own, <laughs> yeah, just my combi. But that's, that's if it's working, yeah. so. Well, yeah. usually, like, like, how old's a combi? 
1974 Bay Window is Ooh, my nice. real yeah. yeah. So there is, uh, there is, there is no danger in rolling that. There, is there? <laughs> it's no. very true. It's just like, yes, yeah, driving be, a big brick. Yeah, <laughs> a big piece of brick. And if you did, have, you did manage, you'd keep going and end up back on your wheels again and keep moving. Forward. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did you find yourself talking and writing about water, making waves? As, as we mentioned yeah. at the top, your, your, your newest podcast series. How did you find yourself there? And and what was the hook for you there? Oh, it was big, just I was really lucky that I was approached by the woman who conceptualised the the podcast and who hosted it, Marnie Islands. Through contacts, I suppose, sometimes LinkedIn isn't so bad. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was actually just so pleasantly surprised. And, of course, it all started and COVID disrupted it. And But... I'm so pleased that it's just it's come together. I'm just this wonderful sense of relief, and I hadn't listened to them for a couple of months till I came down for the launch and to meet with you guys at mm. Batuta. But um, I'm really proud of it. Yeah, wonderful to hear just these lesser heard perspectives about water, particularly from our First Nations people. Yeah, there was one part in that that I really uh, had a good think about is that the concept of wetlands—they're like the kidneys for our ecosystem it beggars belief how we treat them yes and uh, just each episode really talks about that wonderful holistic view that uh, indigenous people have about water and the sense of place that water can't be moved it's an ancestral being essentially like Mm -hmm. that there's this really interesting battle to have that recognized that then something like the Fitzroy River in Broome would be recognised as a national park because yep. of its significance of where it is and mm. you can't just take all the water and put it somewhere else. Or So you can imagine water rights and water licences are just a huge, it's such a difficult concept for mm. First Nations people because uh, yes. <laughs> they want access to it but it's kind of against really yeah. <laughs> almost their entire ethos. So, yeah, yeah speaking to a couple of people who really explain how they've been able to use their water rights in environment flows and really interesting aspect of that. As someone who did a bit of time in Broken Hill, I'm sure you've oh, gone yes. as far as seeing Burke, right? You've been out to Burke. I'm- oh, goodness. I don't think I got to Burke. I used to have a big weekend at Mildura yeah. every now and then, you know, when Broken Hill just wasn't big enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would <laughs> drive three hours down the highway and dodge the emus instead yeah. of the kangaroos. Well, mm. I mean, Mildura's got a similar story, as does a lot of the Riverina, but one thing I always look at at Burke, because when you go to Burke, you, you want to stay near the river. And there's Absolutely. a whole line of hotels there. And there is a, there's a platform there for the steamboats. Yes. Which, <laughs> even now, I know we've had a lot of rain and you can argue what you want about, you know, irrigation's not that bad because look how good the rivers are looking <laughs> right now after a year full of unseasonal rain. But... I don't even think now it would get anywhere near no. that, no, that well, platform was. They used to have a harbour at Burke. Mm. I mean, like incredible. The, the pub there on on the park there. That's you know, it's called the Port of Burke Hotel. Yeah, and that was where the paddle steamers used to come up from South Australia and come up through the Darling. It, it got almost to the point where that was such an important commerce route down the Darling River that when we were coming together to choose where the capital should be one of them was the town of Wentworth which is on the com- mm. which is on the confluence of the Murray and the Darling for those playing at home <laughs> so yeah the uh, capital of Australia could well have been halfway between Adelaide and Absolutely. and Melbourne on two of the most powerful rivers in the country I did get to Bruorna 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that I would always think that when I was there, just this incredible ditch basically yeah. that had nothing in it that yeah. had paddle steamers not yeah. that long ago i mean um, they used to they used to run freight they used to run yeah, freight down the all the wool River. down there yeah and it, it's funny that actually you mentioned broken hill because um joe flynn one of the people we interviewed he he was the head of water the, the water authority for broken hill for a long time that was one of his big regrets that just the water even for the townspeople let alone it had been degraded for many years around yeah. Manini lakes and all the rest of it but it was just undrinkable. Yeah. Um, and what can you do? You know, yeah. you can only recycle something so many times, I yeah. suppose. Well, they built a pipeline from like uh, Pomona on the Darling up to Broken Hill just a couple of years ago, mm, mm. which uh, I don't think they were too happy about in South Australia because, you know, that's just more water that's being pinched. Mm. Yes. Before they're allowed to have their Lake Alexandra yeah. regatta, which is agriculture better to use this water or a sailing mm. event. When I was in Adelaide doing um, current affairs for ABC, I used to call it my monthly River Murray's fucked yarn because <laughs> they <were> just, <laughs> there was always something. There was, I know. It was never really working. No. So another endless stream of stories. That's, that's, that's one thing about water. I mean, it, it's, you go, go through some of these towns. You don't even have to go to some of these towns. You can go, you know, just rural Australia in general. As you said, Broken Hill... You know, the mayor will wear that forever, you know. Mm. And and mm. It, it just gets everyone so hot blooded, this conversation around water. It I don't does. I mean I haven't I haven't listened all the way through, I haven't got to episode five, but <laughs> obviously the there's a whole range of different stories and, and, and grievances that the indigenous community would have with how water mm. is shared and distributed in this country, as you said before. Not really a concept they're familiar with distributing water that runs through a river. Mm. But then you go down to Griffith and you look at some of those town meetings they had about water licenses and they were burning effigies and yeah. you know, threatening I mean, I know they threatened I know one particular family threatened to uh, bury Tony Burke alive when he was the ag minister under um, under Julia. They just get so worked up about it. And, and of course, everyone's got a different angle. Uh, Everyone's got a different opinion of what what should be happening with this water. Cotton farmers may tell you one thing, uh, and I imagine it's very different to what the Indigenous people are telling us. You're working on telling the stories that we don't really hear in this whole debate. We hear about the irrigators. We hear about the National Mm. Party politicians. We hear about... You know, the people who want to run a boat or have a race. What did you learn first and foremost in in terms of this particular issue we're talking about irrigation? What is the Indigenous perspective um, that you've been, you know, hearing and and, and documenting? Yeah, well, they're the stories that I get so excited about that I feel that just haven't got that traction, that haven't really been heard. And the one I think from this that I think really has stayed with me, and it's in the first episode, but it talks about Aquinalius. So a lot of people have heard about Terranalius, mm-hmm. yeah. of course, and Marbo, and um, mm-hmm. it makes me think of another great podcast actually from my friend Rihanna Patrick called Hi, I'm Eddie. She talks, goes into great de- detail about that, Terranalius and, yeah. and the family. But there's Aquinalius as well. So there's that whole concept, that legal fiction, basically, that <laughs> you know, that Britain assumed that Aboriginal people did not have ownership of water mm. either. And that underpins all legislation mm-hmm. to do with water. Yep. So, uh, yeah, uh, Dr Virginia Marshall was the lady we interviewed about that. She's written a, an amazing book about overturning Aquinalius. And, but the ramifications of that, it's kind of like taking out the you know, the absolutely pivotal kind of, it's hard to describe, but like a, a, a thread in a tapestry and that whole thing would come undone. Yeah. Like it's quite an incredible... We're talking but economies and legacies. Yeah. And, yeah, it would yeah. certainly put an end to uh, irrigated cotton. 
Absolutely. Almonds. Almonds, Almonds is a new and macadamia. One. Oh, yes. <laughs> Poor old Riverland. Yeah. yeah. No, How many you need a gallon of water per nut? I think it is. <laughs> exactly. And that, that's the sadness that brings for Aboriginal people to yeah. see that um, water being used that way. Mm. There's like catastrophic moments in recent history um, that I'd say involving the water. During the drought, you know, there was a lot of scary images of the Murray-Darling. You know, you know, not only is it not raining, but the water's not flowing. I wonder why that is. There's dams all around the place that are filled up with that water. There were moments, and there were four corners on it, when there were, you know, blue-blooded cotton farmers' sons were getting done on social media bragging about how much water they'd stolen. And yes. we got, you know, we've got all that kind of mo- yeah, those moments. Yeah, exactly how they'd done it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've yeah. heard a few things myself. Yeah. Apparently a few big frozen fish get stuck in uh, mm. various gate catchments around uh, some of the irrigated areas. Rock-hard so. frozen fish, would you believe it? Yep. Yeah, so you get a lot of water until it becomes unstuck. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, then, and then you had the fish kills. Mm. Like, I mean, that that would tear at the heart of this, this you know, this kind of... Um, I don't know, I'm not sure how you described it before, but the river as an organism in the eyes yeah. of the Aboriginal people. Well, like, say, for example, like, a Murray cod is a very slow-growing animal. And when these fish kills were happening, you'd see a Murray cod the size of this table on the surface of the water. And God knows how long that fish had been in that river for. Mm. And now, just through two little bits of mismanagement, you've killed hundreds of them. Mm. Absolutely. Yes. No, then Anne Polina, who was part of the launch, which was wonderful, Professor Anne Polina, she's world renowned, but she was she was the one who speaks of the rivers as ancestral beings, basically granting them personhood, yep. that that's actually a central part of fixing these legal fictions that underpin so much assumptions of how water can be used and that are worth millions and millions of dollars as well as all the the fish kills and things that eventuate from this mismanagement essentially. so so it's, it's about reframing the language around it from vandalism to abuse would you say? Is it in a very cooperative, yarning way? Yeah, yes, yeah. Mm. <laughs> and bringing everyone to the table. Yeah. I think that's we've got quite a few interviews with water authorities, and they're the ones who actually funded the podcast as well. So, you know, I think that's it's really to be commended for them to to be having these conversations and to really look at how do we unravel this and how do we have a fairer environment for all? Yeah, how do we recognise the environment properly? Is there a history on these water licences? When did that first drop? Was that Penny Wong? Well, the concept of water licences is older than the hills. It's just that like 50, 60 years ago, you could take water until there was none left. Where now, it's more of a modern thing now that that we have the concept of environmental flows, cultural flows and things like that. But in terms of like where we've come from the the birth of water licences in this country to where we are now, it's its night and day, but it's certainly not good enough. Yes, and just getting more uh, acknowledgement of the importance of cultural flows as part of water mm-hmm. licences as well. Do you feel like there's a mobilisation amongst communities now? I mean, or is this something that's always been, they've always been fighting for? Um, yeah. Or is, is this coinciding with these kind of greater kind of... Um, conversations around a voice i think so i I think there are some benefits from that yeah i mean even in the 30 years that i've been a journo pardon me i've definitely noticed that that conversation is changing it's Mm. not all solved obviously but boy people are a lot more open to at least discussing it which to me is quite a a first nations approach it's going to take a long time but um let's at least talk about it yeah 
Well, you know, it, it's it's a, it's a very interesting thing. It's like, you know, I feel like water, particularly water in as in a how do you say it? celestial ancestral and no no ancestral being yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like, I mean, that might be the words we've been looking for the whole time. Absolutely. Because people love going down to the river, black or white, they love heading down there. There is a spirituality there. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And and you can see why it, it causes so much, um, you know, so much emotion uh, when, when, when discussing these things. It's it's, it's a lot like and food, so anxious food or sun Ooh. or, you know, these, these different, um, yeah, very different but very integral kind of elements to life. No, I said the countryside here is the oldest in the world and these big rivers have been here for millions and millions of years. Mm. Absolutely. And it was great. We, were, we went all around Australia for these stories from Broome to Dalesford and Victoria and all those lovely bubbling springs down yeah. there. And uh, I went up to Cairns with the Mandingal by Yudinji mob and spoke to them up there, sort of between the, the freshwater coming down through the rainforest and the barrier reef. And but the this Mossman Gorge. Oh, yeah. just stunning country. Just yeah. such a privilege to be there. But all of them spoke about the importance and the... the the treasure that they have in their heart for water mm-hmm. and their, where they live. It was like they were speaking about the same thing, but in all of these different places. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that showed me the importance of what we're doing. There's a real value in that that cannot be encapsulated in money. Yeah, for sure. Well, we look forward. I look forward to getting through the rest of this. And, uh, yeah. and thank you for joining us to talk about it today, Nance. Congratulations on everything you've done. Woomera, from blackbirding to... To water, I mean, I know you've written many, many, many pieces in between that. But, um, you know, these are all things that most people listening to this can remember where they were or can remember that moment in their life when they learnt this thing, be that Blackburn or be that Woomera. These were stories that we might not have heard without you, you know, in, in 2022. Oh, so water's next on the agenda, and I'm going to get to the bottom of that this Christmas oh, on, on the road. It. Thanks. Thank you.